And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm honored. Today is Monday, November the 2nd, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on November 2nd, 1976, former Georgia Governor Jimmy Carter, he became the first candidate from the Deep South since the Civil War to be elected president. He defeated incumbent Gerald Ford. Today in 1783, General George Washington issued his farewell address to the Army near Princeton, New Jersey. I wish we had more time today. I would like to get into some of the things that Washington told his Army as he said farewell. But we'll do that another time. Very, very interesting, very inspiring. It gives us an insight into the founders of this nation, what they believed, what they were saying, and that truth of God's word that was infused into the very forming of the institutions of America. Today in 1889, North Dakota and South Dakota became the 39th and 40th states. Today in 1920, the first radio broadcast was made from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today in 1921, Margaret Sanger and Mary Ware Dennett they formed the American Birth Control League. We know it as Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood not only not only helps to control birth, but they kill the babies in the womb that they don't want if the pill didn't work. Margaret Sanger probably foisted more harm and barbarism on this country than any other single person in the history of our nation. She was a scourge to life itself. And yet millions of people celebrate her for her work on behalf of women's health care. Today, 1947, Howard Hughes, his spruce goose. <laughs> Remember hearing about that? It's in a museum now. His spruce goose flew for the first time today in 1947, and it was the last time that it flew. Today in 1948, President Harry S. Truman surprised the experts by winning a narrow upset over Republican challenger Thomas Dewey. Interesting story there. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later. Today in 1959, former game show contestant Charles Van Doren he was brought before a House subcommittee, and he admitted to that House subcommittee that he actually had been given the questions and the answers in advance when he appeared on NBC's 21 game show. NBC will do almost anything, won't they, to get a couple of viewers. So will the rest of them. Today in 1994, a jury in Pensacola, Florida, convicted Paul Hill of murder for the shotgun slayings of an abortion provider and his escort. Hill was executed September 2003. We want to stand strong against abortion, stand for pro-life, but that's not the way to do it, and I think most clear-thinking people know that. He did not. Today in 2003 in Durham, New Hampshire, Gene Robinson, the Gene Robinson, was consecrated as the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church. That's some of the things that's 
happening that happened in history on this day. I want to talk to you about what's happening on this day today in 2020. On the eve of what threatens to be the most contentious and potentially confusing election day in our modern memory, the press is wild this morning. They're beside themselves. The press is saying Yahoo, AP, you you name it. They're all saying essentially the same thing. I picked one story, but they're all the same. The story goes like this. Joe Biden retains a double-digit lead over President Trump in the final Yahoo News YouGov poll of the 2020 campaign. They're promising no more polls, no more reports. A 20-point margin, they say, that's more than three times as large as Hillary Clinton's final polling advantage in 2016. The story continues, and like I said, this is one story, but there are many. I counted at least 14 stories that, that mirror this story. Some echo it verbatim. Yet most voters, the story continues, 51%, also expect Trump to refuse to concede if he loses the election. And more than three-quarters, 77%, worry that violence will break out in the coming days. That struck, struck me because worried that violence will break out in the coming days. Violence has been breaking out since last spring. If you live in Seattle, Portland, Pittsburgh, Washington, D.C., New York, what are they talking about? They're afraid violence will break out. Of course it's going to break out. It's never subsided. It's been breaking out all through the year of 2020. And the Democrat mayors and governors of these states and cities stand by as though it's like the right thing to do. While buildings are broken and burned and businesses are destroyed. But so the story goes that this will be a new phenomenon. Violence will break out because of the election. Of course it will, but it's not breaking out. It's been continuing. The survey that most of these stories are based on is from 1,501 registered voters. That was this survey, this last survey before the election, was conducted on October 30th through November 1, so yesterday. They say they found that 53% of likely voters have either already voted for Biden or they plan to vote for him by November 3rd. Just 43% of likely voters say they're casting their ballots for Trump, thus proving that Biden has won this election. As of this morning, as of last night, actually, 93 million people had already voted. Now they're reporting just 30 minutes ago, before I came on the air at 9 a.m. Pacific time this morning, live, they're, they're now reporting 100 million people have already voted. Then I read this. The president will only secure a second term if the polls are understating his support by far more than in 2016 when they missed by about one point in the Hillary Clinton loss in the election. So that's the message that's out around America today. They don't want anyone that's going to the polls 
people still do go to polls, you know. Here in the Northwest, we've pretty much done away with that. But they don't want anyone going to the polls today to think for one moment that their vote for Trump is going to make any difference. That's the whole, I mean, that's the the backstory of these news stories. They're not written for news. They're written to inform, indoctrinate, misinform, and indoctrinate people and to tamp down their enthusiasm. But boy, when you see the enthusiasm for Trump as lately as last night, he did what, four or five of those events yesterday ending up in Florida. I don't know. I want to talk to you a little bit more about that today. We'll see. But on the eve of Election Day, boy, there's a lot a lot hanging in the balance. And there seems to be a lot up in the air about what we're hearing as opposed to what we're seeing in America. Dear Gary, thank you for your ministry and all the encouragement that you give us through your program. It's especially rewarding during this time of turmoil and public division and all matters political. We're praying for your progress and continued success each and every day. It's encouraging to hear you take on the hard issues of the day and to speak truth and Christian virtue into the subjects that we all contend with a daily basis. Thank you for your courage and forthright opinions. Thank you for your support. The letter continues. Enclosed, you will find a check for continued support of your program. The valued results of your efforts keep up the good work. That's from Seattle. Thank you very much. And to all of you who support us, we do try to address the issues head on. We do so every day from a biblical perspective because that's what my life is about. If it were just about what's happening or political, I wouldn't be doing this because my life has been, I believe, set aside, called by the Lord at a young age to be in the ministry. Other opportunities have come throughout our life, as with you and all of us. But I've always felt that I I had to stay in the ministry. That was what I was supposed to do. And the other things that have come along, some of them very interesting, almost enticing. Not, not bad things, but just different things. But when we started this radio program, I did not intend to do one more thing in my life. I just, that wasn't my thinking. But as God began to speak to my heart, and it became apparent to me that this was something I was supposed to do, and the opportunity was there, we did it. And some of you that are listening this morning have started almost from day one supporting this. And I want to thank you for that. I'm fully aware. Others of you have joined us as we've come along and you've become aware of us or that we've expanded into your market, your radio market. And I want to thank you for that. We live on a month-to-month basis. Our bills are paid. And I say that, again, in thanks to God and thanks to you. I thank you for your help. I thank you for your support. I thank you for standing with us during this time. I believe that God has called us to these things. I believe that we're living in very troublesome times now. And I want to thank you 
for standing with us. I want to thank you for your support, and we need it. These are troubling times. We need it. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Or you can contribute online, and more and more people are doing that. It's on our website. Our website is faithandfreedom.us. And you can go on there, and you'll see a tab that says Donate. You can go right to it. So thank you so much for your support and standing with us. We stand on the eve of a monumental election in America. I want to go back just for a moment in history. On November 3rd, 1948, the Chicago Daily Tribune published the headline, and I quote, I wrote an article about this, by the way, at faithandfreedom.us. I would encourage you to read it because there's pictures there of what I'm about to tell you. Harry Truman holding up a newspaper that was dead wrong. (laughs) Hillary Clinton, she was said to be president of the United States in a major newspaper in Europe four years ago. They were wrong again. But on November 3rd, 1948, the Chicago Daily Tribune published the headline, quote, Dewey defeats Truman, as incumbent United States President Harry Truman went on not to lose, but to win the election. Became kind of a famous, then infamous moment in U.S. political history, but it was an upset, but Harry won, as we all know. On Election Day in 2016, a German newspaper published this front-page headline. It said, Good morning, Mrs. President, over the smiling, joyous face of Hillary Clinton. There's a smugness about the Biden people now, even more so within the press. There's a sense of inevitability about tomorrow's election. They're saying this morning they have 100 million votes banked, and they're saying that a majority of them, more than 50%, are for Biden. I don't know how they know exactly that. They're not supposed to be counting them or particularly peeking into them, but that's what they're saying. And most of the polls show that Biden is leading. As I just read, the main poll that's being quoted this morning shows Biden 10 points ahead of Donald Trump. Most of the people who create the polls and report those same polls see a headline about to be published. Biden defeats Trump. Yeah, but it's already ready to just roll. All I have to do is push the button and the newspapers will be printed. But could it be, as the great New York Yankee baseball player Yogi Berra, the catcher, I had a couple of his baseball cards when I was a kid. He said a lot of things, and they're very quotable. In fact, there's a book written about all the quotable quotes that Yogi made during his years in playing baseball. But there's one quote that you've probably heard, and maybe maybe it should be quoted again. He said, well, he said, this is deja vu all over again. There were lengthy explanations by both the Chicago Daily Tribune, the German newspaper, but The fact is that they both blew it right in front of the world. They thought they knew, but they didn't. But this time, the press and the masters of the information are certain that Biden will win. But just 24 hours before the final vote, and (laughs) theoretically, I hope, many see Donald Trump's obstacles to re-election as insurmountable. 
In recent articles, Republicans like Peggy Noonan, Andrew Sullivan, Charlie Cook, and others have even suggested that on this election day eve today, we may be poised for a Joe Biden landslide, not just a win. The press, in their favorite yoga stance, is repeating their most sacred mantra, Biden defeats Trump, while Biden and crew get cockier and cockier. He's running now to the podium. When he comes out, he runs. He looks like my grandfather used to look, but he runs. He runs to the, to the podium. After all, Biden and his mainstream media tell us we are having a third wave of Chinese virus, and it's all Trump's fault. They've been saying that day in and day out. There's people out there that believe that. <laughs> Trump's two points further behind in the polls than McCain was in 2008, and after all, he lost. And almost as far behind as George H.W. Bush was in 1992, and Clinton certainly, Bill Clinton certainly beat him. Niall Ferguson is a senior fellow at the conservative Hoover Institution at Stanford University and a previous professor of history at Harvard. He also taught at New York University and at Oxford. He's a smart guy. I read what he writes. He says the similarities between, he wrote an article published last night, he said the similarities between Trump's circumstances and Trump's, between uh, Truman's circumstances and Trump's are stunning. While Trump and Truman are in different political parties and Truman's run for re-election was 72 years ago and a lot of things have changed, I would say that people have not changed. Human nature only changes when they encounter a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Otherwise, human nature doesn't change. Ferguson notes, he didn't say that, I did, but Ferguson also notes that, like Trump, Truman had bitter opponents within his own political party's elite. Initiatives such as the Never Trump movement and the Lincoln Project would not have surprised uh, Truman. He faced grave doubts over his reelectability from powerful forces within the Democrat Party. With Trump, it would be the Republican Party. Party bosses in Illinois, New Jersey, New York, Florida, actively worked to dump Truman in the summer of 1948. Like Trump, Ferguson says, the institutional deep state opposed him violently. In fact, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover volunteered his services of the Bureau to aid Truman's opponent's campaign. One of J. Edgar Hoover's assistants would later say, no one in the Bureau gave Truman any chance of winning. I mentioned Yogi Berra a few moments ago. I, I I love baseball. And as a kid, I collected baseball cards. Yogi was one of my favorites, but I had them all. I even had a Mickey Mantle, a Mickey Mantle rookie card. I had two of them, in fact. Marjorie and I, I lived at home with my parents, had a good relationship with them until I got married. Marjorie and I moved from Yakima to Bellevue to Kirkland, then Bellevue. And um, I thought my baseball cards were pretty safe at home with my parents. I would later find, months, maybe a year or two later, I decided, I, I think I'll get those cards from my mom and dad's house and I'll have them with me. Man, they were great. I had a whole shoebox full of them. And uh, I asked mom for them, and she goes, oh, she said, well, I looked at them. They, they were old and kind of worn, so I just got rid of them. Do you have any idea what Mickey Mantle rookie cards were at least at one time worth? <laughs> I know she didn't. 
I forgave her. I loved her. But um, I've always had a real soft spot for baseball in my heart from the time I was a little kid. Always wanted to play baseball. And I did with my friends as often as I could. But I always paid attention to Yogi Berra because he said stuff that other people weren't saying. Another thing that he said, and he said it often, it ain't over till it's over. Ferguson wrote that there were two things that changed the course of events in the Truman case, and again, strikingly similar to today, this day. First, he said the incumbent sought to dominate the political landscape by scheduling thrice-daily events in dozens of states, even in invading territory like Dewey's home turf in New York. That was assumed to be hostile, couldn't win. Airport rallies, whistle stops in battleground states. Truman went to California, Illinois, Ohio, Pennsylvania, leveraged the incumbent's populist everyman image. And secondly, Ferguson says, Truman's attacks on Dewey were direct, personal, and visceral. He called him out. He said, look, here's what this guy's doing wrong. Here's why you don't want to elect him, and so on. In fact, one New York Herald reporter characterized Truman as a bumpkin piled higher than haystacks and demagoguery tooting merrily down the track. (laughs) Well, those words today would not be used, but they have words to replace them. But the feeling of the press toward Trump would be about the same. But Truman kept telling the people, you are the government. If you back me, we're going to (laughs) win. He traveled... 1948. He traveled 21,928 miles on a train. He delivered 275 speeches, most in what we call today flyover country, the Midwest. We don't call it that, but the elites do. Truman appealed to the forgotten people, the elite that they don't even know they exist. Meanwhile, Dewey had been promising the country that he would bring us together, unite us. Every speech was about unity, but in the end, that call for unity and one, not a, no red, no blue, just unity, didn't translate to votes. And the three most well-known and most reliable polling companies, Crosley, Gallup, and Roper at that time, they all missed it. They were saying things almost verbatim what I read just a few moments ago. They were saying it in different ways and trying to be very scholastic and professor-ish in the way they presented it, but they were dead wrong. I'm not suggesting that Election Day tomorrow, 2020, is going to be a repeat of 1948. Only God knows how this is all going to play out. Certainly the press doesn't. Neither do those who poll. God knows. But if you look at the best pollsters that we have, supposedly, they're mostly saying that there is no way or very slim way that Trump could ever win the election tomorrow or whenever it's finalized. But last week, political pundit Mark Halperin, he noted in what he called the significant six states that Florida, Georgia, Iowa, North Carolina, Ohio, and Texas, Biden was ahead in just three, and his leads were within the margin of error. That's not being reported widely today to Americans for the reasons that I said. They don't want you to have any hope. They want to push Biden, carry him, basically, over the finish line tomorrow. But Halpern's right. 
That is happening. Real Clear Politics, not a left-leaning news organization, is showing support growing for Trump in Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and Ohio. There are also signs, RCP says, of a late Trump rally in Pennsylvania and Arizona. Now, if Trump wins, I think, and others are concurring with this, if he wins those eight states, it wouldn't matter if he would lose Michigan and Wisconsin. He would be a two-term president. Some Democrats, and this was the most telling thing that I noticed yesterday, some Democrats are having a kind of a shadow of doubt. Yesterday, Democrat Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, very committed Democrat, he was tweeting like mad Saturday and Sunday. An image of the huge crowd that Trump had in Butler, that's a, in the Pittsburgh area, Pennsylvania. And he put this message, the Lieutenant Governor of the state. He said, the president is popular in PA. I don't care what the polls say. With 700,000 ballots still out there, you need to bank your ballot. Use a drop box. Get them in. Please, please, begging the people to get their votes in. Another picture was posted by a reporter for, from Politico. Fetterman again tweeted. He, took a, he put that picture on his post. He said, she is with Politico. She's not with the MAGA propaganda people, the Trump propaganda people. He said, you can't fake a crowd like that. I'm telling you, look massive. It looks like there's a million people there. There are only about 40,000. Joe Biden has been drawing about as many as up to 700, 800, maybe 1,000 on a couple of them, but generally a few hundred. And this lieutenant governor, this Democrat, saying you can't fake a crowd like that, but you can sure be sure you show up and get every vote in. He said every vote matters. Then another picture appeared. Looked like the same thing, 30, 40, 50,000 people there in a different town. They all looked the same. It's just unbelievable. Recently, I've heard some self-identifying Christians saying, suggesting that God doesn't really care about political elections. He simply leaves those decisions up to us. That's not true. God cares about everything that affects our lives, including our leaders and who they will be and how our society will be governed. That's why he commanded us to pray for our government and its leaders. He wrote to Timothy, probably in prison, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for kings and all those in authority. I believe God is saying to us today, in the face of unsurmountable, Joe Biden stands for everything you and I don't hold dearly, if we believe the Bible, regardless of whether we identify as a Christian or not. I don't believe for a moment that God is not in control of all things. If this happens the way the press is outlining, it'll, it will be because God allows it to happen. And I can't, for my own sake, I will just tell you, I can't find a single reason why God should let that happen. But I'm not God. He's in control. And he will re- remain in control. But I want to tell you, they're doing everything to tamp down your enthusiasm. But if you haven't voted yet, vote. It isn't over. It ain't over till it's over. And God is in control. Pray for America. Pray for the president. Believe. And we'll see what happens. We'll continue this conversation right here tomorrow. 